Hello, Amy. Are you ready to start recording? Hi, Alessandra. Yes, I'm ready to start recording. EdTech Voice Notes, the podcast of the EdTech Summit. Whenever I think about EdTech, it has to fit in with the school development plan and purposefully in terms of teaching and learning. Otherwise, forget it. It's worth making sure that you put a strategy in place that works for every school at a level that maybe by themselves they couldn't afford. We've now got millions and millions of children's records sitting with commercial companies. Do you know exactly how they get used? Technology has a role to play in tackling social mobility where it supports great teaching. If we're not able to upskill, retrain and reskill our people in the face of automation, then we do seriously have a problem. Welcome to the third episode of EdTech Voice Notes, the podcast of the EdTech Summit. Each week, we interview leaders and experts on education technology and digital strategies across the education sector. Consulting with our steering committee and drafting the agenda, we found out that there is one question that came up throughout our conversations. How can we bridge the gap between education and technology? Every week, we'll ask our guests to answer this question before we tackle it in a more structured fashion at our show in November. This week, I'm very pleased to have as a guest on the podcast, Amy Hollier, Head of Blended Learning at Heart of Westershire College. Amy, would you like to tell us a bit more about yourself? Thanks, Alessandro. Yes, of course. My name's Amy Hollier, and as you said, I'm the Head of Blended Learning at Heart of Worcestershire College. I also lead the Blended Learning Consortium which is a consortium made up of over 140 different colleges. I've been with Heart of Worcestershire for about a year now. And prior to that, I worked as a director of teaching and learning enhancement at an FEHE institution. So I've been working in the education sector for approximately 14 years now. Now, how would you present the Blended Learning Consortium to those that are not aware of its work? So. As I said previously, the Blended Learning Consortium is made up of over 140 FE colleges across the UK. Um, So that's right from Scotland, Northern Ireland, Wales, right down to um, Cornwall. And it was started back in 2015 by Heart of Worcestershire College. And that was in response to the FELTAG report, really, which recommended that a percentage of learning should be delivered online. And as we know, the the development of online content is really quite expensive. So the college came up with this consortium model, whereby other institutions were encouraged to pay a membership fee in each year. And then that money is pulled together to create a bank of learning resources. So we have a democratic approach. So each member institution votes on what content they would like to be created that year. The content is then written by subject specialists from across the consortium, and it's developed into interactive online learning objects, which are then disseminated back out to to the members for them to use and edit and um, utilize in whichever way they, they deem most important. So in addition to that, as the consortium, we also hold termly regional meetings to share best practice and we hosted a large annual summer conference as well really to encourage that sharing and collaboration of best practice and that's open to not just consortium members but also to the wider sector um, to to really encourage that collaboration. I think that one of the probably most common questions you might receive is does it work? Is the content you produce actually useful to the educators and the learners? 
So could you tell us a bit more about the focus on the pedagogy of the resources that are produced uh, within the consortium? Yeah, sure. I think, um, you know, from what we've seen, it certainly does work. We've we've been growing now since 2015 as people have really understood the benefits of blended learning and, and how this use of different kind of approaches to to learning can have so many different benefits. I would say that since the inception of the, the BLC, we've always maintained that pedagogy should come first and the tech should come second. We rely heavily on learner voice and feedback from the consortium. So we regularly take temperature checks on if learners find the content useful we we always like to see that learning is taking place so we ask educators how they feel learning is taking place using the objects and we always emphasize the importance of the online learning resources should be supported with teacher input hence the blended um, approach so you can't just take these objects that we produce and put them into an online learning environment and just think that that's enough. It really isn't enough. Otherwise, it would be classed as purely online learning. You know, we all need that human approach in order to interact and engage and feel like part of the community. And that's why it's so imperative that that learners have that regular input from teachers and also so that they can sequence the curriculum and make sure that the online learning flows nicely through to the face-to-face learning. So we, we also ensure that every learning object is consistent in its structure. So they all have an introduction, they all have an outline of the learning objectives for the session so that learners know exactly what's expected of them in order to to achieve you know learning throughout the session and importantly we have regular knowledge checks or micro assessment with within every session and that's so that the learner can you know really check their own progress as they go through it we also try to make sure that all of the learning objects as interactive as possible to really maintain a high level of engagement and to ensure that it's not just a passive activity. As you said, the the model of the consortium is a membership model. Um, And I guess this is uh, just a more efficient way of producing content. What are the benefits of outsourcing the production of uh, these appropriate resources versus an in-house production? One of the, the best things about the consortium is the, the collaborative approach across the FE sector. We go out to consultation across the sector for opinion on what topics are most relevant and need to be covered at that, that point in time. And then we ask subject specialists to write the material and, and develop the content in that way. And that means that we get an excellent breadth of opinion from current practicing teachers and lecturers. So we we are really confident that we know that whatever we're producing is something that can really be utilised well. We also encourage members to develop the content. So we we send out that written material to a number of different institutions and they all develop the content for us. And not only does that give them a real sense of ownership over the material, 
but also it means that we can get things done a lot quicker so we can produce content a lot quicker by sharing it out we have a really strict quality assurance set of guidance to follow for all content development and that just makes sure that we maintain a high quality and consistent approach so all of the material looks the same and feels the same but it's actually been developed by a, a number of different institutions and and that as i say not only speeds up the process but we also pay from the money that we we have in the consortium for that content to do, to be developed by them so it means as well that they have a bit more money coming back into their budgets a lot of members have actually made their membership feedback up by developing content and then Obviously, they have their own content to use then as well, which is is great. It's a kind of win-win for everyone, really. As we mentioned in the previous episodes, the, the lockdown has worked as a catalyst for education technology, accelerating the adoption of technology across the education sector, although it forcefully eliminated the blended aspect of blended learning, pushing for a full online learning How do you think this has affected the learning experience and what advice would you give to other organizations I'm thinking of schools for example that maybe found themselves embracing online learning for the first time during the lockdown I certainly think that this switch to um as you say initially fully online learning and then across to more of a blended approach in some respects has really opened our eyes to the possibility for different variances on learning approaches i think it's you know it's bad sex it's been an, an absolutely awful time but it's almost been the best kind of form of cpd that many of us have had to go through because we had no choice we had to all embrace the switch and we had to really navigate our own way around it and how we were going to start getting the technology to work for what we needed it to work for but i suppose you know moving forward we we now move from that initial knee jerk reaction where we just put short term measures in place to to get us through you know the end of that summer term we're now moving into i'd say probably the next phase whereby it needs to be a sustainable approach to blended learning so my main pieces of advice for for those institutions you know schools colleges whatever really any of those institutions embracing online for the first time my my main advice would be to keep it simple it's so often that people get carried away with all sorts of different bits of technology and they see the the bells and whistles on certain bits and they think that they should have it all straight away but more often than not simplicity done really really well is far more effective than having a really complex approach so i would say first and foremost be really clear on what your expectations are for staff and students i.e. what your preferred mode of communication is are you going to use teams or are you going to use other platforms you know how often you should be communicating with groups of learners is it once a day is it once a week you know where do you expect to see that communication where do you want learning resources to be posted and provide clear guidance on elements of safeguarding because this is an area that 
none of us were really expecting, but we find ourselves, you know, learners are being projected into our homes. So we have to protect ourselves. We have to protect protect learners. So there's an awful lot of, you know, that kind of aspect that should really, really be focused upon. But when we're talking about an online strategy, perhaps start off with three aspects of a strategy you'd like to achieve. So firstly, you know, do you want all learners to be able to access an online platform? Do you want all teachers to post learning resources in a certain area? And and just set some kind of short-term achievable targets that you know that everybody could realistically achieve. Because if you set too much, it will overwhelm people. So as I said, don't try and do everything straight away and, and have more of a phased approach to your implementation and introduction of online learning. And I would say where you can, try and really mix up the, the online content. So use videos, podcasts, quizzes, games, all of these things to support learning and to really try and make it engaging so that learners do see that this is actually a really nice and exciting mode of learning rather than, you know, just a very didactic delivery of someone narrating over a PowerPoint that they can clearly read for themselves. Uh, you know, there are, there are areas where that's appropriate, but really try and mix it up and think about if you were a learner, how would you want that information to be presented to you? And, you know, we all enjoy a bit more interactivity rather than, you know, just be sitting and, and absorbing information in one format. So consider the modalities that you present information through and, and really try and mix it up a little bit. And don't be frightened to try something new. This is the opportunity now where we can really explore the digital tools that we have available to us. So so try things out. And if it doesn't work, then that's absolutely fine. But you know that you've explored it. And that's how we'll learn to build for a, a more sustainable approach. What direct effects did you see the lockdown have on BLC? Uh, did you see perhaps a change in the expectations of your members towards the resources that they access on the platform? So we didn't really see a change in expectation from members around what they wanted from the BLC. We had a real surge of material usage, which is only to be expected. But, you know, in addition to that, we had a lot of new members join. I think people realised quite quickly that there is quite a lack of high quality online content available, um, particularly in vocational areas. So we, we had a new, quite a few new members joining us from March onwards, and that was seen right across that summer term. But we also had a lot of requests from members for guidance on how to structure an effective blended learning provision. So in response to that, we hosted some webinars on preparing for lockdown, which we did about a week and a half, I think it was, before we got locked down. And then we did another one called Lessons Learned from the First Week of Lockdown. For those webinars, we had speakers from institutions across England, Northern Ireland, Scotland, um, and some from Wales as well, all share their, their practice and ideas with other members, which was absolutely fantastic because it meant that we were all going through the situation together. You know, when when we started doing the, the preparing for lockdown webinar, nobody really knew what to expect. 
So it was all very much a bit of a kind of round table experience in that we were sharing ideas on how we thought certain approaches might work more effectively, but it was all very new to all of us. But through all of this, really seen an amazing sense of community develop with everyone just pulling together and trying to come up with a solution. And that in itself is something to be embraced. We've all seen, and I I talk about it an awful lot, but collaboration is definitely the way forward. We can do so much more when we do it together rather than just doing it on our own in an insular way. And this is a case in point of how all of our members and the wider FE sector came together and supported each other through, I think is is real testament to, to what we're all about. I think um, a lot of people are starting to see the opportunities that blended learning now offers. And I think that we'll see from this a real shift in approaches to teaching and learning, a really positive shift at that that will hopefully continue after the pandemic. Now that people have seen that, you know, there's an awful lot more that we can do with learners. And and also, I think it's important to listen to the learner voice. You know, there's there's certain aspects during lockdown where they, they really quite enjoyed doing some home learning. I know that many of them were ready to return to institutions in September for that real community kind of aspect of, of learning. But I think it has shown that a blended approach can actually work really, really well. And it can also open up opportunities to engage learners from wider, different backgrounds as well. There's been a lot of positives. And I think that our members um, together with us and, you know, the wider sector, as I said, have really learned a lot from this. And we will definitely grow and build on this as a result of the the lockdown measures that we went through. I, I agree with you. I think that these difficult times have just uh, allowed the community to come even closer together. Education community has always been uh, united, but now we can see how they've shown even more how resourceful they are and uh, how able they were to just uh, overcome the difficulties that were put in front of them from one day to the other. Speaking about difficulties, uh, new legislation on accessibility came into force in the UK exactly two years ago. Um, It was structured as a series of progressive deadlines to allow enough time for the public sector to adapt. New deadlines on websites and mobile applications were actually set for this month. I'm aware that uh, Harrow Worcestershire College and Blended Learning Consortium have made this a priority and that they are regarded as a successful example within the community. Could you tell us more about the accessibility of your content and how you got where you are? Accessibility is a huge priority for us, as it should be for absolutely everyone. We started a significant project well over a year ago to review over 1800 hours of our learning content and materials um, to check for accessibility issues. And during that review, it was a really useful review, but during the review, we found that a lot of the interactive elements in our learning objects weren't accessible for some users, such as screen reader users. Things like the, you know, if you've got an interactive element that might be a drag and drop activity, that doesn't lend itself well to screen reader users. As a result of that huge review, 
we've invested a significant amount of money in developing supporting accessible resources and we've worked in conjunction with one of our members the the royal national college for the blind to develop and test the resources so we're really confident now that our material can be accessed and used effectively by all users and i think that that like i say it was a really useful review to go through and what is most important is having that tested the user testing element as well so rather than us just i don't know producing a piece of content and then checking for accessibility issues using the digital tools actually gleaning some feedback from those users with certain difficulties or you know accessibility issues and and asking them what they found challenging about using the materials and what they would like to have integrated into the materials to help them really so i would advise that that is a really useful thing to go through if you have the opportunity to um to do some proper user testing with with your material if you develop online content but also you know we've really pushed the message out to our staff as well there's been huge amounts of training across the institution for accessibility awareness we've got an accessibility steering group who are fantastic because they're from across the academic areas but also business support areas as well so they've come together and looked at absolutely every element of what we do to ensure that accessibility is at the fore of all that we do. It's a really joined up approach and it has to be absolutely everybody in the institution needs to be made aware of just how important it is to get this right. It's a shame that the the government directive came into force to push people into this, but I think that moving forward, it can only ever really get better, to be honest with you. Well, you told us about the genesis of PLC, the present. What about the future? Uh, what are the future plans for the Blended Learning Consortium? As we continue to grow, we're keen to always try and stay ahead of the curve in the material that we develop. We've started looking into the feasibility of developing virtual re reality material. But I think it's important to always ensure that the content that we produce will be useful across all members of the consortium and not just for those who have access to certain pieces of tech. You know, we also need to be mindful of not doing things just as a gimmick, but we want to make sure that everything that we do is really beneficial for for most people and not just those few. We have to also um, think about there is a real disparity between the equipment and materials that institutions have available to them. Um, and we do need to maintain a really kind of generic approach. But saying that, you know, we always want to innovate and move forward and, and really offer learners something completely different that is useful to their learning experience. So we'll continue to produce really high quality vocational content And we'll continue to ask the learner voice for feedback on how they prefer to learn so that we can continue to adapt and evolve our content. You know, we've seen now with Instagram stories and reels and TikTok that learners love video. So 
that will be something that we continue to integrate into our material and and use really well. We know that now as we we've had this massive shift recently that teachers and lecturers are going to need a lot more support for the pedagogical approaches so we're going to continue to do more research on what effective online pedagogy looks like and we're going to then really analyze and share and disseminate that information back out to to our members so to support them really in in every aspect that we do so i'm really i'm I'm quite excited about the future for the blended learning consortium i'm excited about what the opportunities that we've had presented to us recently can then evolve and develop into but I do know there's an awful lot of work to be done and we need to make sure that we continue with this collaboration and not lose this sense of community that we've really developed over, you know, over the summer. So it's exciting times. There's a lot of work to be done, but um, it's, it's really exciting for the BLC. Now the time has come for our recurring question. In respect to digital strategies for educational institutions, what is the key to bridging the gap between education and technology? Um, As much as I'd like to say the gap is reducing between education and technology, I know there's still lots of work to be done. As I said, I firmly believe that any successful strategy is based around people. People should come first and the technology should definitely come second. And if we're clear on our vision, what we want to achieve, and most importantly, why we want to achieve it, then you can all progress together from there. I always say, as I've already done um, today, keep it simple. Don't overwhelm people and have a phased approach. Remember that change can be quite daunting for some. So, you know, try not to overwhelm where possible. And then people will buy into your strategy more if they know that it's all manageable. I certainly find that a just-in-time strategy for training is most effective, especially with digital training, whereby you provide training on certain aspects when people are most likely to need it so that they can then apply the training straight away and it will stick in their minds and then you can build on it from there. So the the just-in-time strategy is definitely one that I would, would seriously recommend. The other thing I would say is Don't be swayed by the most shiny new piece of tech. Really make sure that you have a purpose for introducing it and that it can be used by, you know, most people in your institution because we can all, again, get swayed by that kind of the bells and whistles of a piece of tech and it just sits dormant with people not using it, which is such a waste of money. But then once you, if you do introduce something new, then find the early adopters in the institution and really utilise their enthusiasm to help you really embed it further across the institution. Well, thank you very much, Amy. It's been a very insightful conversation and I'm sure that our listeners have enjoyed it. Thanks, Alessandra. It's been a pleasure to join you. Thank you for inviting us to contribute. Amy will be one of our speakers at the EdTech Summit, now taking place online on 18th and 19th of November 2020. Please do visit our website www.edtechsummit.co.uk to register for a free ticket. We will soon release all information on how to use the platform, see all of our talks 
engage in workshops and network with visitors and partners. This is it for this episode. I'm Alessandro Bilotta, content lead of the EdTech Summit. Until next time.